Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast for Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review. You can find us under the Burn Orange Nation podcast feed. Subscribe and share it with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of those major players. In podcasting, you can find us there again under the Burn Orange Nation podcast feed. Follow us on Twitter at Longhorn Pod and feel free to shoot us, shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. I also want to remind you of our friends over at the Texas Exes Houston chapter and their Texas Off Week Golf Tournament coming up in just a couple of weeks, Saturday, September 28th at the Wildcat Golf Course. It is a 9 a.m. shotgun style start with your four player scramble happening. Uh, the tournament and sponsorship information can be found at TexasXs.com. Now, the awesome thing about that is that all proceeds benefit the Houston Chapter Scholarship Fund, giving someone an opportunity to have a great time and, and go to school at the University of Texas, something that so many of us enjoyed and feel, find as a formative experience in our lives. Breakfast, lunch, snacks, and of course, some libations available there as well. The marquee raffle item, two tickets to the 2020 U.S. Open at Wingfoot in Nueva York. You don't have to be present to win the raffle. You can purchase those tickets at Texas x's.com support it and possibly get rewarded for doing so well, my name is gerald goodridge i'm your host this week like i am every week and i'm joined by mac brown's dance instructor kyle carpenter kyle how are you <laughs> that's nice i like that a lot i uh mac brown is one and oh the longhorns are one and oh gerald you with that that uh you got me with a little giggle there i try to be unflappable are one and oh to start this podcast well what to know baby it's a real thing right now that's uh I'm on, I'm, I'm flying high. How about yourself? You know, to pull back the curtain a little bit and made it through the intro without having to restart, feeling really caffeinated with some homemade cold brew. So I, I really am feeling one and oh, Kyle, I really, I really am. So we're going to do, this is going to be our first week of the new structure. So this episode is going to be basically 80% recap of this previous week's uh, game. We'll check out the Louisiana Tech, kind of talk through what we saw, what we liked, what we didn't like. And then we'll do our usual weekly segments, the downing of 40, uh, bang the drum. And then Thursday is when we're going to bring you our preview episode. We'll talk about LSU, those Bayou Bengals, and we'll have some fresh stuff for you there as well. So let's jump in to the La Tech recap. Kyle. Texas 1 and 0 for the first time under Tom Herman in spite of that being the mantra for the school. I think the more important thing for me is not the 1 and 0 start, but the fact that Texas was able to sit its starters feels so so good. A 45-14 win over La Tech, 14 of those points came after the starters started to get pulled, but that's that's neither here nor there. Kyle, what I want to ask you to start off with is when we look at this performance, how would you grade it out? You don't have to do a lot. You can just grade it however you want. We'll come up with our own grading system like the uh, the Texas Longhorns did themselves. But what do you, what did you like about this? What didn't you like about this uh, coming up as our first view of Texas playing against somebody in other colors? In the 10,000-foot view, I like that we are 1-0. We can say that. It's, it's, it's crazy to think it took three years to get to that point, but we started the season uh, with a with a win. Um, and, and we said 
on this podcast before, what does success look like? Well, Sam Ellinger holding uh, a headset and, and cheering on, you know, Casey Thompson and uh, the, the twos out there, you know, with some considerable time to get some reps. All those things happen. Um, if I'm Tom Herman, I think the way that this game happened heading into the LSU weekend is almost perfect because not only did they get a, a comfortable win, not only did they go out 38-0 to zero when Sam sat down and really have you know control of the game, but they have a lot of things that can be coachable. They can head into this big week with you know coaches saying, no, you need to do this, you need to do this. You said last week you were going to do this. I need to hear from you that when LSU rolls into town, you are going to do this. Not nose to the grindstone, step it up, let's get this right. Like, they could still come in and coach hard. You don't have, I don't think this would have happened with any of the players on this team, but you don't have the, you know, the little bit of kind of arrogance set in that, you know, we can handle anyone. Obviously, LSU is a different different uh, monster entirely, so I, I doubt that would have happened, but still, you, you don't even have the chance of that because you have, at almost every position, uh, a coach who can come down and, and point something out where they need to be better. And so... Winning a game in week one, um, we, we know the week one scaries, but winning a game 45 to 14 with just a comfortable feeling throughout um, and still feeling like there's a ton of meat on the bone and a lot of coachable moments is actually, I think, a, a great place to be. Yeah, that I think that's the best way to describe it. Texas looked good, but there was still room for improvement, which in previous years, it's like Texas looked like crap mm. in that first week. They came out flat and they got blasted by Maryland, who are just, apparently just the kings of week one dropping 80 points on overmatched FCS schools. But that's a different conversation for another day. But I think that's that's like Sam Ellinger had a great day, 276, four touchdowns, over 70% completion, 34 rushing yards without having to put his body on the line. And he still left three touchdowns on the field. We saw him miss Devin Duvernay, Jake Smith, and Colin Johnson with better ball placement. There are three or a couple of more Sam Ellinger touchdowns on the board. And so I think you hit the nail on the head. Like Texas played really well and there's still room for growth, which makes me feel really good about the upside of this team for several reasons. So I think the, the we'll start with the offense and we'll, we'll kind of just land there for a minute. So we talked about Sam Ellinger briefly, the, the Texas offense looked like it was in rhythm. And so for you, Kyle, what like jumps out as something that you liked about the offense and what's something that maybe you want to see some improvement on uh, in the week as Texas prepares for LSU? Well, I mean, we've talked all offseason about the, the talent that this offense can have and how they can attack you a bunch of different ways. I mean, when you start eroding at the, the depth, however, it, it could have gotten a little bit, I don't know, to say this one-dimensional, I guess, and it, and it did to a, to, a, to a bit, but it could have gotten that way to a fault. Um, especially the, the major caveat coming into this game was, look, we know the running back room. How do we protect the key guys, get out there and do enough without having to give Ingram 25 carries and take a bunch of hits? Sam, you know, running the ball where he's taking a, a bunch of hits. They were able to to come in, and, and all credit to, to Tim Beck and, and, and Coach Herman, they were able to come in and set a, a, a tempo offense where they were able to mitigate a thin running back room we'll talk about in a moment that's you know going to continue to be that way um, but to mitigate that without putting Sam as a power you know running quarterback and, and kind of risk additional hits and they did that with um, kind of all of those just hyper quick passes they basically 
made Jake Smith and 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 Devin Duvernay into um, extended running back options by the short passes that got the ball out of Sam's hands, but gave the defense too many things to look at, um, and and really just kind of I think gave LSU something to think about. Now I don't I don't imagine that they are going to attack exactly the same next week. Um, I think you're going to see a different plan. There is uh, one thing I saw was two direct snaps to Keontae Ingram. I don't know if they're doing that to tease LSU or if that's that's I, I don't know why you show that. If not, I, I imagine Herman plays the cat and mouse game as well as any coach out there. So anything that was shown, I think, was intentional. Anything that wasn't shown probably going to be intentional as we go from one Louisiana opponent to the next. But we'll talk about specifically in our preview piece. But I just think they got the ball out in drive one. It was scripted. They were going to get number six in that slot position, all kinds of touches, and see what he could do. Um, Devin uh, Duvernay ended up with nine catches and, and, and just could have had some more. Again, some meat on that bone, but just looked looked good, looked fast. Jake Smith came in um, at the end of the first quarter, second quarter, and kind of picked up some of those, and same thing. like Got a lot of targets, moved the ball pretty well, could have had even more. Um, a couple throws go a different way, and, and you, you get a whole lot more right there. But So I just think... They came in and they did everything they needed to do without showing too much, without exerting too much. Um, and again, playing their strength, uh, the, the, the passing game and, and kind of mitigating their weakness, the depth in the running game against a team that truly the strength for the entire Louisiana Tech team is that really strong defensive backfield. I mean, it, it truly is Big 12 level, uh, with the talent they have in there. And they were able to, against, again, attacking a team's strongest point, which military tacticians will tell you is not always the most shrewd uh, offensive move. They're able to do that and do it well and still get out. So I think that's a long way of saying I like the game plan. I like the execution. There are tweaks that make that execution a little better that, that turn that from a B to, to an A- minus and, and, and 21 more points. The, those like little missed opportunities, I think, are, are a big deal. And and we'll t- I want to talk about Keontae Ingram for a second because I think he's yeah. a guy that uh, is somebody that left about twenty or thirty yards on the field. And even he felt that way. There was a, a a play where he almost stepped through an arm tackle, didn't quite get it. That would have gone for a pro- I think it was another ten or fifteen yards in a score. And Keontae Ingram had quietly had a really good day. Eleven carries for seventy eight yards uh, on the ground, one hundred twenty one total yards. And I did the I did the research, and you could check out more about this in the about the inside the numbers piece I do every Sunday but Keontae Ingram had the highest yards per carry of any Texas running back with double digit carries in two years so anybody with more than 10 carries yeah that was the highest yard per carry performance 7.1 the last time somebody was over seven yards I believe was uh, week 11 against West Virginia that was Danny Young that was kind of his his breakout game in, in 2017 toward the end of the year uh, but It's crazy to me to think that Ingram, after the game, said he wasn't good enough, which if he thinks that's his ceiling and the offensive line is playing as good as they are, Tom Herman said it in the Monday press conference that all five starting offensive linemen got the highest possible grade for them. Pro Football Focus kind of named them uh, one of their offensive lines of the week. All five Texas players graded above an 80 with uh, Cosme. They're the Pro Football Focus loves Cosme for good reason. Oh, yeah. Uh, but all three of those guys graded out above an 80 by Pro Football Focus, and it's it's so sad to me that the offensive line is going to be the strong point of this team in a year where Texas is just piecing together the running back room with a bubble gum and paper clips. So, uh, but if the offensive line can play that well, 
against LSU and Ingram shows the flashes he did. And we'll talk more about this uh, on Thursday, but if, if those two are able to, those two units are able to really do what they did against or even, you know, 40 to 50% of what they did, because that's probably about the jump from Louisiana tech to, to LSU. If they mm. can do that again, I think that is, that's a recipe for success for Texas because they don't have to go four wides and sling it all over. And something that frustrated me, I think was uh, a guy like Malcolm Epps getting hemmed up by a five, nine cornerback. Like yeah. Malcolm Epps should have put him in timeout. Like that's what should have happened. Um, and as somebody who's shorter than that cornerback, I can't say much, but like, Epps getting bodied by a guy who he's literally got a he's he is a, an inch away from having a foot on that guy yep. and letting him get in your chest is embarrassing. Um, and so I think that for me is like the biggest, you know, kind of meat that's left on the bone is that the, the receivers all played really well. But there's so much with the level of talent in that room. There's no reason for them uh, to struggle in, in some of the ways that they did. Yeah, and I think I think Epps has the the most room for improvement. I hope by the end of the season we see a completely different player, just as he gets that confidence. But he ran there. I, I remember seeing a dig route that he ran that was just one of the worst routes I've seen a Longhorn receiver run in a while. He's a basketball player. He's a big dude who knows how to jump up and grab balls. He's still learning that position. And so when you have this much depth, he may not see a lot of those midfield, uh, not in the red zone targets if, if he doesn't work on that part of his game. But one guy who did look good, and immediately after that I liked to see was Colin Johnson. He went up in that on a make on the same spot immediately after the first time Epps just got bodied by him, and I loved it off the line, just exploded into him, pushed him back about six yards, caught the pass on a fourth down um, to convert on a first down. He ended up getting the ball stripped on just a great play by the linebacker coming in and tackling the ball, um, which was unfortunate. Tackle. It, it really, truly was. The coordinator salivating over that. He can't do anything about it, you know, and so I, I'm not I'm not blaming that fully on, on Colin as long as it doesn't become a trend. Um, you know, he, he caught a, a near two nearly impa- impossible balls, um, one on the sideline where he go-go gadget arms about, I think he was behind the bench of uh, La Tech. I mean, he caught it like one of the uh, – the, the He soror- ordered some nachos. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, he ordered some, some nachos and tapped one of the sorority girls in the That's second cool, row. That's cool, <laughs> uh, it was it was just an incredible play, and then even the the, the touchdown was kind of Sam squeezed it a needle in a haystack, and just the perfect awareness to get that with those. I mean, that's a drill receivers run, but it's a hard drill. It's hard to have that concentration. So I thought he did well with the double coverage. We knew he'd get, um, you know, had had probably a pass interference that didn't get called on another forty yard jump ball that he he you know almost had a great one handed catch on the on the first or second drive uh, of the game. So so there was still a little bit there, but but again, um, he did what he needed to do. I just like to see him grab, you know, one or two more balls if we're out in a game where we're passing in the fourth quarter and he's got the chance to be there. I mean, the the thing and, and not to just focus on the receivers because I think this is the whole the whole unit. What I like to see and, and I think this is a major key when we talk about what does Texas do and we'll get to the defense in a moment. We talked about, you know, winning the turnover battle, which is both sides of the ball. Um, conversions on third and fourth down, you know, going in Texas's favor being better uh, again on defense than on offense and then not having a ton of penalties and I think not having those those drive killing penalties that we've seen in the past was huge this week I think that's a major key that will play into not just next week but the big 12 race coming up Um, if they can have this level of production keep the penalties as low as they did I think they had uh, 47 yards in penalties but uh, a couple of those came 
we will talk about how we don't agree necessarily with each of those yards. Um, but uh, but no, I think you know overall played a, a really mistake free game on the offensive side of the ball, especially. So um, that lets those receivers you know get the third and six where where the defense doesn't know exactly what route they're running, or you know the second and fours where are they going deep? Are they hitting under? And really really helps our quick twitch guys in the slots and our big guys outside. It frees up the confusion where the defense can't pin back and know what's going to happen. And, and so getting ourselves in advantageous positions, just all season major key. And they did it this game. Yeah. And, and looking at the penalties, Texas uh, didn't have an offensive penalty until uh, six minutes with six minutes left in the third quarter, I believe was Texas's first offensive penalty, which was a, uh, a false start on uh, Parker Braun. Come on, get it together, Parker, get it, get it together. Now uh, he, he played a great game. He did. I was going to say if you if you're gonna if you're gonna say Parker Braun and and he had a really good. I just want to point out there was one play where he was pulling. I think it was on the Ingram touchdown run. He was pulling, and the way he pulled at speed as a guard and was going and had to change direction and make the block was something that I don't think any other Texas lineman right now on the roster can do. I was trying to think of another Texas lineman can do it. Just that body control, and again, he's put some weight on. He's he's bulked up, but just looks like. He's going to be a weapon. He's uh, Angelau was, you know, excuse me. Um, last year, our our uh, giant Samoan um, guard uh, Vahe was was great at pulling, but he just pulled and mashed and got that girth going and just destroyed people. Um, the the Parker Bronze cerebral pull is a really cool weapon that I'm I'm interested to see how how Beck and Herman are gonna gonna apply that this year. That's that MIT of the South football that's that's happening. That Georgia Tech trap blocking triple option scheme that he played in. Plus again, anybody that can graduate in three years from Georgia tech, uh, that that's a smart guy. Yep. So moving on to the defense, um, the, de- the defense gave, gave up quite a bit of yardage, 400 yards. There's a lot of bend, but don't break on it. Uh, five of 14 on third downs. Although again, if you check out uh, the inside, the numbers, you'll see that that first quarter seems pretty anomalous because uh, they were three of 10 on uh, in the second, third and fourth quarter. So it was pretty, a pretty decent performance from the, uh, from the defense there. Uh, so Kyle there, there, I think of the two units, with with room to grow and things to improve on, I think the defense probably has more left on the bone than the offense. Uh, specifically, I think in the secondary, the offensive, the defensive line played really, really well. I was very impressed with the defensive line. Uh, they they kind of they Louisiana Tech passed so much that we didn't really get to see what Keandre Coburn gets to do in the middle, but it definitely allowed Malcolm Roach to show out quite a bit. The linebackers played really, really well. Uh, specifically, Joseph Osai looks like he's going to be a problem for three years before he graduates. Mm-hmm. Before he probably goes pro early, whatever. I'm fine with it. Send those guys to the league early. It's great. Uh, what jumped out to you, Kyle, defensively for Texas this week? We'll go one positive, one negative. Sure. I mean, I, I think I think the positive was the defensive line. I think um, I didn't expect them to be as good as they were. And, and Coburn, like you said, was not um, the game changer, but he was just a brick wall in there where it needed to be. Uh, there was guys who I didn't expect to see so much. I thought Bimage, I kind of was high on, um, and he made me, you know, look pretty good because I think he had a great game uh, I think Sweat, Tavondi Sweat came in and basically as an 18 year old just established himself as maybe the the fourth guy 
on the line. Like he's going to play 40 snaps a game right now. As it looks, he, he's utterly immovable and he does a great job moving the offensive line. It just looked fantastic. I was really impressed with the Jomo. There was a couple of times I was like, man, Coburn's moving quick in that middle. He's a, he, you know, he can slice through there. And then I realized it was, it was 98, not 99. Um, he's bigger than I, I, I realized cause he, he's listed at 280 and he, he looked fine at, at the tackle. Um, and then I think Roach just had a great, uh, a great game. So for me, you know, the line was something that I, I said in our season preview that I thought was better than people were giving credit for. I thought we would have an eight man rotation and we were deep enough to do that. Even if we didn't have an Omena who, who was going to the the pros for sure, just your guy who was a lock. Um, even if we didn't have that, that we have so much more depth and just the looks that even in week one, when you know, he's holding stuff back that, that Orlando was able to do. Um, I thought that's a plus. I think the very obvious and sorry to take the low hanging fruit here um, minus is I don't know who our cornerback number two is um, Jalen Green absolutely our best corner and I don't think it's even remotely close uh, who is going to step up and be CB two may 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 determine the difference between Texas making a new year New Year's Six Bowl or not like it's 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 to me probably the most critical thing uh, on this team in addition with just staying healthy, but on this team going forward for the rest of the season. Yeah. And, and Herman talked about it today. I mean, they, they say every position is up for grabs every week and I legitimately believe them, but based on what we saw on Saturday, I don't see anybody passing, uh, passing Jalen green on, on the quarterback spot. I'm just going to put it out there. I did not see anything I liked from Kobe Boyce. I saw nothing I liked and a lot of stuff I didn't like from Kobe Boyce. He did not play well. He had a really embarrassing, like, I thought I stopped him and knocked the ball out, but Uh. now I'm celebrating while the guy runs for a first down. Uh, Deshaun Jameson, when he came in, I I think Deshaun Jameson looked good in the spots. And the guy that I was really impressed with, um, who's actually playing safety, uh, is Chris Brown. He's he's the second-string safety behind Caden Stearns, but when he came in... He specifically in run coverage and in run defense, when they play that like eight guy Star Wars look, uh, as we're going to call it, because I, I think they call it the Super Lightning, but uh, somebody said it looks like Star Wars out there, and that's going to stick because I'm a nerd. Uh, <laughs> when, they, when they play the Star Wars look and he's out there and they have him blitzing and have him covering, he did a thing where he was engaged with an offensive lineman as a defensive back jumped up and batted down a pass, uh, which is just, that's not that's not easy to do. That's that's very hard to do. And so JJ Watt made a hundred million dollars doing that. Not many people know how to do that very well. Yeah. No. The, the list is the list is short. The list is short and and distinguished. And so uh, that like he impressed. Like he jumped off the page at me from a defensive back standpoint. Uh, again, co- coverage is still probably a little suspect, but that's okay. I think BJ Foster. Uh, when your nickelback doesn't really show up anywhere, that's a good day for a nickelback because it wasn't like, oh, they were they were targeting him and picking on him or, oh, the nickelback position was awful. It was just like I didn't see B.J. Foster. And that's good because that means that that slot position was just locked down. And I'm completely fine with that. Jamar Smith did not look to the inside receiver, which is a which bodes well for the future of Texas as they, they get to teams that will try to pick pick you apart on those short underneath dink and dunk routes. And, and I'll just say this because we kind of talked around it. There was a specific sequence of events I wanted to talk about because it was a difference in a, in a mentality and a, you know, they've been preaching all season that these guys, because they're young, they need to know that they're good enough. They've earned their spot. If they mess up, you let it go and you make the next play. 
that's all season been the mantra. And there was a series that I think was actually the turning point in the game. And you referenced it. It was a uh, BJ Foster, not to pick on him, but it was his only play that I saw that truly was baffling. He he had a, a beeline on, on the quarterback and it looked like he was still in spring mode where he sprinted up to him and then just slapped him on the back and was waiting for the whistle to be blown. Uh, Jamar, their quarterback, was able to just kind of sidestep easily um, and then hit the receiver on a third down for a conversion. Um, and, and again, that was the play where Kobe Boyce thought maybe that he knocked it out and was celebrating, which kind of caused Caden Stearns to stop and, and get five more yards to ensure that they got the first down. So just an altogether baffling play. What happens immediately next is a jump ball to, again, we talked about a preseason Bolitnikov. You didn't hear a lot from him. He only had three catches for 38 yards, mostly because what I'm going to talk about, uh, Adrian Hardy and, and Jalen Green and a jump ball that, you know, off of that momentum play third down conversion could have been in past years a game changer for the worse, but makes it on the on the, about the four yard line with a guy who's got, you know, little little inches on him and again, good position to jump. He goes up high points. It doesn't get the interception, but, but knocks the pass down. And then immediately after that happens, Chris Brown gets, like you said, the tackle for the loss in the backfield. And then we had that swarm uh, sack that ultimately overshone got the sack. And then Gosai may have got a piece of it. Um, but they flipped what could have been a, a momentum game changer into it was a touchdown drive when the offense got the ball back. That sequence of events, to me, is the most important thing that happened in the game because, again, also our offense was able to capitalize on it, but it showed the fight. It showed the spirit. It showed the one mistake doesn't derail us. We have, even though these are young kids, you know, who we worry a little bit about, they have the mental tenacity to forget a play, move on, improve, and we're not even talking about it. I mean, I don't think the players that stood out were our two safeties that were supposed to be the anchors. They were fine, but I don't think there was anything there. I think you're going to see more from them as we play the bigger opponent. So it, it, it gives me... Optimistic. We've always said, can Texas go in with their B stuff and still, you know, still get the win? They may not pitch a shutout. They may not, you know, throw a perfect game, no hitter. Shouts to Justin Verlander. Um, but can they still get a win when they don't have their A stuff? And I think the defense didn't have their A stuff the whole game. And they still, you know, they they went off the field at 38 to nothing. The ones, you know, went out and they, they held them scoreless. So to me, that's a win. I mean, that's that's Texas football. So with a rather impressive win, Texas is now 38-2 and all-time versus the state of Louisiana in football. They're looking to improve it this weekend, a 31-8-2 and with uh, LSU and College Game Day in town. And again, we'll bring you the full preview for that game on Thursday. Now's the part of the show where we uh, we give some shine to the, the sports that don't necessarily get as much shine as they should, and we down the 40. So first up, number four volleyball. After dropping the first set against number 14 USC, comes back and wins three state to top the Trojans 3-1 to one at the Greg. Logan Eggleston led Texas with 16 kills. Skyler Fields not too far behind with 14, and Micaiah White with 12 fields was named the big 12 freshman of the week big ups to the number 11 soccer cannot avoid the late game pks lost on the road to colorado which is dumb the the tying penalty kick kyle the tying penalty kick bounced off the underside of the crossbar as the last seconds ticked off of the game i i just that's heartbreaking like, what do you do with that? Uh, this, this Soccer is such a fickle sport. They giveth and they they taketh away. Um, Colorado's a top 25 team. It was another marquee matchup for the team in the early season. Um, that's, it's tough. Um, you know, I, I 
it's going to happen. They had a great penalty penalty save uh, in the thriller, and we I don't want I don't want every match to come down to a a penalty at the end. Let's say that because uh, the the odds are not always in your favor. That's that's the kind of play where you throw the controller and your spouse is like, "Hun, it's just a game of FIFA." Like, no, it's not <laughs> just a game of FIFA. This is ridiculous. Uh, so Julia Grosso within that game scored her third goal of the season. So big ups to her men's golf. The Corn Ferry Tour is uh, concluding. I think the finals were today, and it's a kind of it's a place for amateurs to show their medal. And so uh, the final round gave Bo Hostler and Kramer Hickok the chance to regain their PGA Tour cards, which they did. And then our friend Kyle's favorite golfer, Doug Gim, earned his PGA card. So big time stuff there for Texas golf. Absolutely. Joining, you know, obviously the, the Longhorns on there, Dylan Fratelli getting in there with a win, uh, on the, in the John Deere. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's very good right now for Longhorns in the, uh, on the links. All right. So Gerald this week, I want to, as we kind of change the format up, introduce a new, uh, a new piece here of, of how we bring some information. And I, I'm calling it burn orange lenses right now. I mean, we look at the world through some beautifully, uh, burn orange, huge lenses because we all know if it ain't burn it ain't turn um and so talk about some things that uh the longhorn fan is looking at look at the rest of the league kind of from the view of of how does it affect us because obviously the the world revolves around us so just um you know to give you an example so uh this week there is a coach down in florida on the hot seat how does that affect us well it's former texas coach charlie strong um with not a uh, not an elite showing, losing forty nine to zero in Wisconsin, just getting wiped off the field. Um, so, so that type of information is what we're going to kind of give in this in this section. I think um, we'll do this each week and give you an update, just so you're not only getting news specifically on the forty acres, but all the things you care about in the greater college football. So, um, the 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 next of of those that I think, uh, as we talked about the the running back thinness this this week. Um, no game from from our beloved Neil Carter, but Kyle Porter uh, did get a did get a fourth te- quarter Porter himself. He did indeed live up to the title, uh, getting a touchdown. When we think about uh, the crazy minus five on the depth chart at our running back position, you think about the two uh, or three guys actually, Tristan Houston, who transferred out. Uh, it is a little bit; it hurts just a little to see uh, a former Longhorn who's no longer on the squad who could add some of that depth getting a TD in a big week one matchup um <laughs> i want you to intro this next one gerald because I, I i feel like i have i have the tendency to get real petty on this particular subject so i'll i'll hold it back oh kyle there there is no need to hold back the pettiness um losing week one games couldn't be me could be the big 12 definitely the sec though so the big 12 a uh, a pristine 10 and 0 in their opening week. Some of those were less pretty to look at than the others, but that's fine. Uh, but the SEC dropped five games and probably should have dropped a couple of more. Uh, Memphis held Ole Miss scoreless for basically three quarters and one in a um, women's field hockey score, 15 to 10 <laughs> Missouri lost to Wyoming. Uh, Mac Brown ended Will Muschamp's head coaching career yet again. Uh, <laughs> Auburn trailed Oregon, uh, Oregon late, which was just great. And the fighting uh, Joe Hamilton's, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, uh, played Mississippi State close for most of that game, gave them something to talk about. Um, Tennessee, like, yeah, they were just an absolute abject dump. Like, 
This is Rocky Top Bottom, is what this is. Uh, Ooh, I like that. Which is I like just that. Terrible. There was there was there was some folks, some SEC folks saying, uh, "Is is the is the UT that is back actually Tennessee?" I'm not kidding. I saw these these like posts, these messages, people thinking Tennessee was back. Well, well, the omen happened before the game that Tennessee Navy had a boat uh, outside of Neyland Stadium that caught fire and sank um, before kickoff. And then that uh, that energy that that drip uh, was right into the stadium uh, as as Tennessee football performed the exactly the same I'll say and 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 added to the the SEC week one woes. Uh, Arkansas didn't really show much against Portland State. They didn't really have much separation with a team that you should have uh, some separation with. And then Kentucky and Mississippi State. Uh, we're both leading by just one touchdown in their fourth quarter uh, showdowns like we just talked about. I think the last thing we want to talk about and then we'll move on is OU did what OU does and dropped a 50 burger on Houston while giving up way more points than they should have to the tune of 31 points. Derek King uh, showed what you need to do against that OU defense, which is be competent and they probably can't stop you. Uh, Jalen Hurts had himself a game though, 332 passing yards and three touchdowns while also rushing 16 times for 176 yards and three touchdowns. So he's uh He's going to be pretty solid. We were saying it that Lincoln Riley's probably the guy uh, to do that. And so we're, we're glad uh, that there's not going to be any, well, Jalen's not that good talk when Texas puts the boots to him. Yeah, I think Dana Holgerson uh, knew what he was leaving in West Virginia, but didn't maybe know what he was getting at U of H. That offense is going to be pretty good. The the lack of Ed Oliver is clearly apparent in the Houston defense. I think OU is going to be elite on the offensive side of ball again. But I do wonder if they're going to see a Houston every week or if uh, they'll see some tougher competition, I imagine, especially when they come, uh, come to the cotton bowl. And so now it's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, big Bertha. And we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? <laughs> this week? I couldn't, I couldn't avoid thinking about a, a sad, possibly, you know, senile, old spotted man Terry Bradshaw kept popping in, into my brain um, if you read the Texas pregamer this week we had a nice section that uh, we titled Looking Boy after the, the uh, early 2000s smash hit uh, by Hot Styles Looking Boy um, and, and we just kind of commented on some of the um, appearance issues that, that poor Terry seems to have but, but I, Terry had a rough week we, we all know the quote about Sam, the, the motivational poster he provided. He'd, he'd rather have his guys. He ended it by saying, um, clearly, we, we, we saw that wasn't the case. They, they obviously weren't able to pull off the, the upset um, like they've threatened some teams to do in the recent recent past. But but not only that, but, but Terry Bradshaw's name slid down a couple of lists this week. Um, so, so I'll save the best one for last. He was passed by current LaTeX quarterback Jamar Johnson on the on the uh, all-time Louisiana Tech quarterback career yards list I think by the second quarter so you know he'll just breeze by him so so, so that probably hurt a little um, but but the most poetic uh, of items was one Sam Ellinger passed Terry Bradshaw on the college football career touchdown list in the same game um, so so he's not that good. Mr. 5A quarterback himself, 
Sam Ellinger, ahead of Terry Bradshaw and soon to be many others. But the important thing to focus on here is Terry Bradshaw looking up at Sam Ellinger as he cruises on by him with a wonderful career. Three buttons, four bourbons gone looking boy. Uh, so my bang the drum this week, Chris Del Conte is great at interacting with fans, uh, especially being very diplomatic with some annoying fans who are complaining about dumb stuff via Twitter. That's another conversation. But somebody jumped out and was asking about alternate jerseys and alternate uh, uniforms for Texas. And Chris Del Conte doubled down on objectively the right opinion. And I want to read you the, the tweet because... I I want to I don't want to misquote him. He said, "Not being stuffy here, but programs that are steeped in tradition don't need to candy up a uniform, but rather choose to embrace the past and the traditions that make up our great university." I I couldn't have said it better myself, and I I think back to the Daryl Royal quote, like these are these are work clothes. Right. Like they're, they're not you're not out here to be pretty. You're not out here to do anything but win football games. And I love the classic look. I love the burnt orange uh, jersey, the white pants, the white helmets, the black socks and shoes come on with it. And there's a reason why the icy whites are on every list of top uniforms in sports. They're they're always routinely there. And it's the classic look. And so. Texas is a school, and and I'm going to start sounding like an old man yelling at a cloud here in just a minute, but Texas doesn't need all of that, and Texas's brand is classic and recognizable, and there's no need to do anything. If it ain't broke, don't break it, right? Like, there's no need for 16 uniform combinations because there was a lot of talk, well, well, the recruits are going to OU for the Jordan brand and for to OSU for all their crazy uniforms. It's not, it's not a uniform thing. Be good on the field. And the the rest will follow. And so CDC, continue to be the ambassador that you are. Thank you so much for what you do for the university. And don't change the uniforms. Man, I love that. You just just think about it, right? When when they've recently released the 150th college football season, all the people who are on those lists at the top who've been doing this since the beginning, your Alabamas, your Texas, your Ohio States, your Michigan, your Penn State. The teams that have done it. I had a, I had a, a coach in seventh grade. I scored a uh, I scored a touchdown on on a on a wonderful reverse run. Got to the end zone. Did a little bit of a dance and shouts to to Coach Leach. Uh, not not that one from Texas Tech, but the the great one from Corbett Junior High who uh, who said, "Hey, good run." Act like you've been there before, and then uh, proceeded to mock me by doing the uh, the Heisman S celebration that I did, and and made me feel about an inch tall. Um, you know, there's something to it. Act like you've been there before. Texas doesn't have to dance and prance and and show off. We we are the Joneses. Everyone else is trying to get like us. All I'm saying is that alternate jerseys and alternate uniforms are for teams that haven't won national championships. But that's all we've got for you for our Louisiana Tech recap show. You can catch us on Thursday for our Louisiana State preview show. Before we do that, Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, You can find me at Kyle Carbon. You can also find me tweeting from at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. I know we shoot us an email LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Again, you can find our LSU preview on this same podcast channel coming to your ears on Thursday. Thank you so much for tuning in again. And until next time, 
Hook'em. Hook'em. Only thing better than 1-0 is 2-0.